Sarah Bill Carter. You lost your Lady Gaga moment. <laughs> <laughs> and your meat dress ready. Kia ora Tifano and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's episode 37 and uh, I'm Natasha Markham. I'm joined uh, by the full 76 Small Rooms team today, Arch, Jeremy and Matt. And we have a very special guest, uh, the NZIA gold medalist for 2022, Julie Stout. <laughs> Thank you. Just a small correction, because I keep saying 2022 too, but it's actually 2021, 2021. which is a, a weird anomaly, but just in case people... Oh, well, I what what a way to reveal you're also the medalist. <laughs> 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 I know. Exactly. I'll take everything. Yeah. So, it's, I think, mm. oh, almost a week to the hour since uh, you, the big announcement with yes, yes. Uh, has it Has it been a good week? It's been phenomenal. A, a relief just to get it out there and um, not have to you know, pretend. Mm. And um, yeah, and the, 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 it's been amazing, the reaction from people. Mm. It's been phenomenal. Um, and the enthusiasm. Mm. It's been great. So. Because you're the first female gold medalist in the history of the award, mm. which is, is quite a big deal, really. I mm. mean, a lot of us have sort of waited a long time for yes. this moment, and we can't think of a more suitable candidate for the, for the uh, award. Do you feel that sort of responsibility or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I mean, it's been a long time coming. Well... Thank you, but it's it is a life sort of like a lifetime award, mm. really. It's for a body of work, mm. and I, an architecture takes a lifetime in most cases. So, you know, time just had to pass. <laughs> <laughs> Someone actually, <laughs> a woman won it, I suppose. But um, anyway, it's it's um, yeah. So it feels pretty weird. I have to say, you know, for it to be saying to Jeremy but you know to be me in the verse because I, I don't sort of see myself in that role but I'm very mindful of being at the forefront of the number of females a entering the school of architecture and it was like 13 percent mm. in my uh, year one and um, and so that and that's just numbers just built and um, you know it's so great to sort of still be going at this end and, and to sort of get, not be tripped up along the way or be held back or, or things to, um, um, you know, because there's a lot of really talented women out there, but they're also struggling with families, as you know, and and um, and recessions and economies. And I mean, there's a whole lot of, it's, it's never smooth sailing, is it? So it's just a relief to get to this point <laughs> still be standing I think I really enjoyed um, something you said in the video that I think David said to you about making sure you don't peak too early yes, yeah. which I thought was a great no. perspective on it because no, of course no. it's just that moment in time there's yes. so much more still, yes right? absolutely yeah. yeah it's always been sort of a standing joke because you do you go through as you'd all be aware you go through with some really talented people mm. and you think, man, they've got it, they're away, you know, what can I do? And, um, and then people, just, you know, I don't know, you, you don't see them again, or we, I, I don't know what's happened to a whole lot of them. I know a lot of when I graduated, a lot went overseas because there was that big recession in the, whenever it was, anyway, 
and a lot went to Japan. Mm. You know, end of the eighties, eighty seven recession. Um, a lot took off overseas, mm. and, and I sort of sure made careers over there. And you sort of wonder, oh, gosh, what are they doing? Well, reading um, your fantastic interview with Jeremy, which we'll mm -hmm. link to for the NZIA, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk there about adventuring and heading mm -hmm. to other countries. Um, I mean, you you did this, you did this with mm -hmm. David, pulling mm -hmm. up. I mean, it sounded mad, like yes. literally pulling up in a boat, going to a Marks and Spencer, buying suits and, and yeah. getting a job. It, well, it did take a week or two, but yeah. <laughs> it was, but it, it, was, it was literally such a flip because we'd spent... A year traveling through the Pacific and you know wearing nothing more than a shirt and a sarong really and um, and and through all these amazing islands um, where there was nothing much more than a light bulb at night you know the darkness of the Pacific at night looks phenomenal mm. and um, apart from the, the extraordinary stars and then to eventually we sailed from the Philippines across to Asia and the mists started coming down like a day out of, of Hong Kong. You'd be aware of this, Jeremy. You know, there's suddenly there's this atmospheric, misty thing, and there's these junks appearing out of, you know, there's all these big fishing lines spread out and high, high, big high boats, bums at the back, you know. And, and I just remember there was this cloud of orange dragonflies appeared out at sea. And you think, oh, my Lord, we're, we're entering a whole other world and and then we as we got in closer it got dark and then the lights of ships and that started appearing we haven't seen ships for ages and and then the loom of hong kong under the underside of the clouds and we thought oh my god you know it's just like a sci-fi story it just <laughs> got brighter and brighter and then more and more ships all around you and you're just in this tiny little walnut shell and we just sort of keep going and then you're around this is black corner of the point of, of and you come gosh <laughs> <laughs> um, and you around this corner and then there was Hong Kong lit up like you wouldn't believe and it was the 21st century it was just suddenly manifest you know this bright bright um, cityscape and the clouds were down low and then planes would be coming out of the clouds to land it Mongkok? No, Kai Tak. Airport. And here we are in our little boat. And mm. It just sort of, it was such time travel. It's been so magical to yeah. approach it by sea. Yeah, as well. Right. And it took, took two days to yeah. get into Hong Kong. So we have this sort of, you know, we have this such yeah. an accelerated and sort of disengaged way of moving between countries now with air travel. It's yes. wonderful. It's fast. But, yes. you know, to cover every mile. Yes. And to approach it that way, and just hearing you talk about it, it's obviously yeah. you know really memorable. How did yeah. how did sailing and travel and moving at that pace in all of those different places and experiences? How much did that influence or shift or change the way you then saw and looked at architecture and practiced? Oh, I, it's always just a rich amalgamation of everything, and you sort of put this life here, and you know you just fuse it together and what's working at the time. You know? And so we anchored, we got a berth in at the Royal Hong Kong Jockey Club, right in Wan Chai, right. So we were, you know, uh, suddenly we were there, right in the centre, and um, yeah, and went and shook close <laughs> um, but in those days too there were people still living in junks in the harbour and you know whole families were coming out and going through. but um 
That's probably what they said about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't nearly as good. <laughs> um, and we ended up anyway. So so it's this this sort of duality of of your worlds, and you just at one moment you're you're looking after the boat and you're that person, and then you're off in your suit to hunt for jobs, and um, and then you're working and being part of that life. And it sounds like, um, you know, the skills were obviously seen as really transferable. You were able to find work really readily. Yes. Do you think that's different today? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think architecture is quite a um, universal trade, really. And and you, particularly these days, I'm sure, with, if you've got computer skills, which we didn't mm. have. But, but, you know, you know how, how to put a building together and what to do. But this, it was the scale of work that was, mm. which was fantastic. Um, and it was that big leap which I really loved. Looking, you know, doing sketch designs for apartment buildings and office towers, and yeah. And, and there you are living on this little boat, <laughs> sleeping on the deck because you had no air conditioning. And you drew a lot. Yes. Through that. Yeah. Journey. Yeah. Well, it's it's something to do. Yeah. And it's always, as you know, a pleasure to do. Um, yeah. I'm always, you know, for really as a someone who sort of straddled the end of the manual era mm. and the computer right. era through Auckland, mm. it was almost yeah. at a kind of zenith of obsession around mechanical drawing just yes. as the computers were kind of coming in. So I have a nostalgia yes. for those techniques and I think yes. about it a lot myself. But I'm also I'm always interested in the question for those who draw a lot and I assume you still still your yes. primary explorative yes. method. Yes. Um yes. to hear about that yes. process. I mean, you touched on it in like the last paragraph with Jeremy, yeah. like grabbing a glass of wine oh, and letting it start. Yes. But I'd love to hear more about perhaps what it's like for you as a way of as a way of reaching an outcome and finding an outcome. Uh, well, I, th I think too as an architect, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but the power is in the pen or the pencil, mm. and you know, and even if you're in a meeting and you're there writing or you're drawing, you know, you you're you've You've got a position of, um, from which you can um, think about things, or annotate, or, or control. You know, but um, but so always, it's been thinking about a problem and by drawing it, and um, and and in a way to sort of edit is discard ideas too, or, mm -hmm. or think things through. So we've always done. I mean, we've just got books full of these things which is really lovely to look back on because you go wow what on earth were we thinking there but <laughs> but you see the evolvement of an idea and yeah I, and in some ways too you know I, I now look at people in the office doing the computer thing and pulling and I, I quite I, I like the way they can just say oh we do this or that, and you go and you can test mm. the ideas just as quickly really but in some ways it's sort of free it because you say oh, but what an ugly building you know it's a good mm. idea but <laughs> Does it have, you know, you still have that sort of censoring part of it, whereas drawing has a more of a, you know, it keeps that sketchier thought process going. I, yeah, for me, it can anyway. be less definitive. Yes. It's kind of held yes. in a state that's not quite confirmed, yes. which is quite exciting yes. in the way you explore. Yes, I think model, and you can just write words, you know, too. about what something could be, or, you know, and, it, and it's got as much evocation as if you, mm. if you uh, 
drew it. And there's also something inherent about the composition of a drawing, you know, yes. as a yes. as a as a, a piece in its own right, yes. but that can yes. actually inform the idea yeah. in a way too. Yes. Mm. And I think it lets other people in easier to what mm. you're doing. Yeah. Because there's a possibility there. Yes, it's and not, you're saying, Oh, I'm thinking something like yeah. this. Yeah. You talk about the power of the pen, I used to work for Gordon. Oh, and he's the arch. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's and he would sit he's in the, the meeting king of the pen. at a yeah. nine team meeting and he'd yes. just be drawing the thing. Yeah. And he'd hold it up at the end and be like, there you go. And it's, and it's sorted, yeah. you know, because everyone was talking about those things and he would yeah. sketch it yes. as he's talking. And, and But without that drawing, it, the, the ideas in the room didn't find its form. And, but, you know, once there was a drawing of it, everyone could something to look at. Yeah. I hate how good he is at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that to see. It can be see, really hey. annoying, can't it? <laughs> oh, it's just incredible as a tool to, yeah. as you say, yes. to engage yeah. and to show possibility, yes. but enough definition. Yeah. It's incredible. Story. Yes, I know. It, it, and, um, you know, I really take my head off to him. Yeah. <laughs> George, you talked to Kim Hill in the weekend, and I was struck by a moment in that interview where I can't remember exactly what you said, but I was suddenly struck by the weight of architecture as a profession. By that I mean the distance from a drawing to realising a finished yes. project and yeah, how many having... obstacles stand in the way. Yes. So I wanted to ask you about what the pleasures and the frustrations of that process are like and why it remains to you a worthwhile profession to be in despite sure. the many despite obstacles all that. Yes, time. I know. I, uh, yes, where I, um, you know, I said it was sort of a cruel profession because you know, you're know you working with these ideas and these this kernel of an idea that forms in your head and and out of that you have to make manifest one of the largest things imaginable a, a whole building that's somebody else is paying for and you have to make it um, not only stand up and not leak and perform um, but you have to make a beautiful piece of architecture and it's Ah, oh, man, the pressure <laughs> to do all that and have all the, the pressure of time or lack of time or too much or things going on hold and keeping that energy going all through the process is, is, is as you all know. Well, I mean, I think you could almost argue that those same things apply to an artist yes. working on their own. In mm. addition to that, there's yes. all these other externalities yes. that are influential in the process that you have to deal with, as well as yeah. pressure, uh, expectation, time. Yes. Sure. Um, but I guess my question is why? Because it sounds like <laughs> yeah. a pain in the ass. <laughs> I know. It's just like saying, it's like, you know, sort of, why do we do this to us? But, but it's so worth it in the mm -hmm. end to, to um, make something that really affects other people. And it mm. is, is a. Um, um, yeah, I mean, like walking into this room, it's so beautiful with the dark colour, isn't mm -hmm. it? But I mean, that's a choice that you've made, you know, mm -hmm. all these decisions along the way that really affect other people. Um, what are, what are your highlights spaces. then across your career when you, you halfway through your career? Um, what are, what's the, um, you must have some great highlights. Uh, what are the, you talk about affecting people and... and You're right. Um, I, I think Hickey Street was the first, you know, a because I was still just really starting, and and um, that it came out okay. 
this you know, the house you and David designed yes. for yourself, kind of on a journey yes. through the Pacific. That's right. Mm. Yes. And Just so the ideas here. that we were working with, um, it came and it fell into place. And and um, but again, it's that interesting thing too, where buildings people go, gosh, what's this? You know, it takes it always takes a while for people to go, oh, okay. You know, I think it's very rare for people to go, wow, that's amazing something is particularly our work which is so landscape sort of dependent really, um, for it to then settle and be mm. part of it but that that was the sort of the first moment of really going this uh, getting really hooked on what you can do with architecture mm. and feeling some confidence about what you're doing yeah you talked about um, um it, I've never been in it. I walked past it on the way here, and I yeah. try to take every opportunity I can to kind oh, of go past. Oh, you should just knock on the door, Nikki, and answer. So yeah, well, actually, maybe that's, maybe that's the next episode. <laughs> um, uh -huh. it, it feels like quite an experimental yes. house, and you talked about like so-called mad ideas. You talked about mm -hmm. having the bed suspended over the yes, pond at yes, one time. Yes, or floating in the pond. Floating and, in the and, right. yes. I found those drawings the other day, actually. <laughs> Oh, it sounds quite wonderful. I mean, it's not whimsical yeah. and great. Well, but, but, yeah, I know. <laughs> Imagine fighting a who's going to make the other team. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, those, there's a few things there. I think there's, you know, I, we often talk about the, the two versions of a building. There's the yes. version, the idealised version that you might have wanted to make or, or yes. could have had, and then there's the outcome that... Yes. has to respond to these yes. things we've talked about yes. and often you're the only one who has that idealized yes view. yes um but on i guess experimentation is it would you say it was a very experimental time playing out lots of uh, ideas it, well it was evolving yes yeah yes yeah i mean it's always what does the building want to be in the end doesn't yeah. it you know it starts to have a a logic or something in it that you have to really polish away at and you have to discard ideas so much yeah. you spend so much time thinking no it's like this and then eventually realize no that's the problem you go down this way it's it and I it think starts to work you know so when we start putting the walls in as opposed to the big roof it started to coalesce more as an urban townhouse and then it was more how do you get light in, uh -huh. and so then the whole ideas of um, um, like we've just been to Sir John, John Soane's place in Lincoln Fields, you know, in that lovely way that he brings light in through the top and in the sides. You in, talked in about the darkness dark space, and, and dark looking space, out yes. into the light. Yes, yeah. yes, and and making pools of light in a room rather than having a lit room. Yeah, those those decisions are about what you do and don't mm. do alongside the, all the multitude of options mm. you can always throw in, mm. I think can be really painful and hard mm. because every idea almost feels as good as each other. So yes. having that mechanism to decide yes. what goes in yeah. the bin and what you go forward. Yes, and there's no right or wrong. No, but um, I think we all, um, yeah. you know, we all know what it's like to have yeah. to choose between one or 20 options, feeling that they're all, yeah. you'd love to see every one of them. Yes. Is it, yes. from a process point of view, yeah. is that, painful is it liberating is it hard has it no felt over you're time waiting for that more? moment when you go that's it right that's aren't you you know do you think there's is that an I'm intuition sure. that gets stronger and clearer yes yeah yes and that's the one thing i sort of like about teaching is because you're helping students go through go through this and they're like in the, you know, i've got 100 ideas and you're going to 
you know, you're talking to them and going, well, isn't that what you're on about? And these others are, you know, put that away. That'll come back in 10 years' time, that idea. You know? yeah. <laughs> Just concentrate on this, you know. Yeah. And so you become more of an, an editor or a director in that sense, which mm. is really lovely. Yeah, it's yeah. that really interesting balance, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it applies to any creative process where it's almost equal parts creation and then editing. Yes. yes. And you sort of yeah. almost need to sort mm. of work out what are the set of rules for this yes. problem that you then sure. unravel all the way through. Right. I like the way you, you, you just talked about those decisions that made things coalesce because when those things start to happen, they, they, they tend to make those decisions easier. Yes. Because they then narrow the set of things that yes. work and you yes. start going, oh, actually, now I know those things don't yes. work here. And that's the other thing too, isn't it? Getting the, the Making the building function yeah. and perform. <laughs> Thank God for that in some ways. You know, Let's just work on the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take it from there. Yeah. Um, and so in that context of kind of, you know, what people might call like a playful or experimental mm. kind of house. And, you know, we often we often hear chatter or criticism that New Zealand practice has lost some of that experimentalism yeah. or adventurousness. Yes. Would you agree with that? Oh, I think so. I mean, there's so many restrictions now, aren't there? God, I'm just unsettled working drawings going... <laughs> well, you look at what's required for consent. Yeah, exactly. Even just fifteen years ago. Oh you know? man, you know, we're in this house, we've just done that. You know, we're wanting this sort of stair, you know, hovering down and glass. You know, like look, no hands. God, by the time you had this structural seismic fire glazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Regulations are coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. And you go, oh, okay. It, and once was you just winged it, you know, yeah. and and sort of fudge that side of it and hope no one noticed, a bit like our existing house at the moment. And then you go, oh, no, they're all over you now, I'm afraid. We're back in our corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, then they change it. Yeah. <laughs> then they change the code and you've got oh. to relearn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are, yeah. What's no. exciting you in architecture, not necessarily other architects, but what, you know, in your own work, what are you exploring? What's What's the, um, what are you interested in at the moment? Uh, well, we're doing some, you know, houses at the moment, which mm. always interests me because, you know, again, it's working with people, you know, friends and that and, and, and making something for them, you know, yep. it's, 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 it's um, lovely. Uh, but again, it's my, the, my biggest passion at the moment is the bigger picture stuff mm. and um, the city and like just doing this um, last semester working out on a new framework plan for Manukau City Centre. Mm. I loved, you know, it's like the fabulous thing about the uni, you can take the whole of Manukau City Centre, don't give a damn about who owns what, <laughs> analyse what's good about it and what's bad and discussing why and what you could do. Mm. And then with the students doing this whole new thing to make it a city for the future and put and it was just so exciting the ideas that they came up with, and and you're helping them really bring those ideas up, and and how how to um, make it a, a really relevant, exciting place for the, the you know these young kids of South Auckland to now live in and have have see themselves in this mm -hmm. in this place. Um, so, and I just love that. Um, and then. And you think, so where do we show this? How do we get this out there? And um, so that's what I'm, so that sort of leads on to 
the urban room idea or somewhere where we can bring all these projects, discuss the future of these places of the city. So we don't just keep doing the same old stuff. You know, we do tend to have a fairly um, uh, formulaic attitude towards urban design. I mean, there's some really good things, you know, how to make places. Mm. But I think well, there's still so much um, um, unique to us in particular here in Auckland, the different cultures and that, and that mix, the climate, the, the way of life, mm. um, that's so little is taken notice of mm. to date. And I think, you know, that's something I think that we really should be having. It could be a really exciting debate. Mm. Mm. And I mean, one of the first people to open that world up to me was Jeremy with his paper boy. Mm. Mm. Um, what did you call it, Jeremy? Is it a broadsheet or a just a magazine? Magazine, yeah. Free weekly, missed, Free, missed to this very day. Yeah, yeah. you know, but it, it was just putting those, realizing that there's just there's so many interesting people and stories out mm. there, and and, and what, how rich this life in Auckland is. And so how do we make places for those people? I suppose you've read Shifting Grounds. I've just finished it. It's yeah. a slight segue, but that was yes. immediately what I thought of, because at least yes. from my experience of reading, it was just full of all of these things. Yes. So I did not know. Exactly. And, and they're so pertinent and relevant yes. to things so about place. So you walked place. past how many times? Yeah, yeah. just amazing. Cookie color, is it Cookie color in the domain? Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This and is Lucy McIntosh's book. Yeah. That mm. came out That's a few months ago. Yeah. Yes. The sorts of things, you know, I, I wish I'd known those things when I was at that time at school where you yes. were able to actually kind of explore ideas at that scale yes. and, and with yes. lack of constraint. Yes. You know, yeah. the fact that it exists now is a good thing. <laughs> right. Jules, you've campaigned very successfully in the urban space as well as being an architect or as an adjunct to your architecture practice. What's your advice to people about getting the city that they want? How do we lobby for it and articulate a point of view and make these incredibly complex organisms achieve better through. outcomes yes. for themselves? Um, well, I think first and foremost, we have to have that discussion and debate and and, and I think that's the great thing about architects and, um, and urbanists is that you can put forward propositions and visions of what it could be. So people go, oh, that was interesting. Well, um, and so it triggers ideas in people and debates on, on it. And, and so it all goes into the mix. I don't, I, I know the one thing you don't do is say, uh, here's a museum for Winyard Point. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, it's got, with well, this, I think we're at a stage now. And I think it's a really interesting time because so much is, is, is happening in our physical space. So much change is going to happen. Um, to have that, which is why um, I'm really excited about the idea of establishing an urban room forum in Auckland, where we can start having that debate and, and bringing other people in around the table to talk about it. Discussing the possibilities. Mm. I mean, I think it's so worthwhile. I mean, one of the really interesting things about your career is that it's it's sort of a greater worldview through an architectural lens. Mm. Had you always thought about architecture or a career in architecture as more than just making buildings? Has that always been a part of your interest? Uh, I think it evolved mm. going travelling. Yeah. Because that just woke me out of the 
Western, you know, what you grew up with, the known, yeah. you know, the world you'd grown up with, and then you go, oh my God, they do that, you know, and and so you slowly start building up, and then the interesting things of cities, and and then that whole the Venice Biennale exhibition mm-hmm. was a really um, interesting sort of, uh, you know, because they were, at one point we were trying to do a TV program on Pacific architecture after it in the early 2000s, but that fell over in the GFC with Arte prepared to pay for it. Um, and so it was great to then take that into the Venice Biennale mm-hmm. and bring all these people in that row and Mike Austin and that to talk about a bit like shifting ground, a more historical viewpoint of where where the Archie, the Western culture and the Pacific culture have come together in this country and give it a bit more depth to that story and how it's influenced mm. even our, our development here and that, that thread of modernism was, but that was still more influenced mm-hmm. by the Japanese Mm. by the Pacific, you know, so the two and local context of course as well Yes, and and to understand that there's a richness but there's also a history and that it's, you know know, pure Maori viewpoint how rich does that get Mm. and if we start having that um, underpinning our work Mm. rather than just looking for the new all the time we have a much richer um, tradition here. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a richer source to draw from, mm. from and I guess start, you know, really um, articulating or expressing yes. that in terms of where we're at today, where we might be yes. in the future. Yes. And it's it's been interesting last year, semester one, we did... Um, um, just sort of building on this uh, um, urban room idea, but we were in Aotea Square and working with Peter Ture, Rakura's father. I don't know if you know him, he's absolute treasure. And um, he took us on a walk, met us up at K Road, and, and, and just sort of talked about history of place, very like shifting ground, and his, you know, Maori stories about the place and what was there and how it fitted in and um, and, and what he saw in the past, you know. It just brings it alive and mm. the students are like, doing mm. we all were. And, uh, and then it was incredible. And, you know, to talk about everything from the tanifas and this wild or mm. the water and, um, and then through to the protests that have happened around Aotea Square and the idea of space Mm. and um, confrontation versus, you know, having a place for this to happen. Mm. And it was just terrific how the students just picked up on all of that and made these amazing responses. Yeah. Because it's sort of fresh ideas for them, Mm. you know, and there's nothing really, if you take those as ideas, there's nothing really you can pin it on. You know, this building here, they wanted to look like this or that or that, you know, they have to really think again yeah yeah when it comes to making cities or even making architecture i suppose it would be easy 
over time, given the obstacles you've described to cynicism. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you retain optimism and not become cynical? Well, that's where the glass of wine comes in. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. No, I think think most architects are inherently fundamentally optimistic, which is why we do it. (laughs) I think you'd have to be to do it, to be perfectly honest. Yes. I mean, I think in our hearts, most of us believe that architecture will make the world a better place, whether that's naive or not, I don't know. But but that's, well, that's certainly part of what drives me. I think it's what drives most of us to keep going with it. Yes. Mm. Making something that doesn't exist is about as optimistic a kind of endeavour as you can have, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the sheer joy of seeing it and, and seeing other people seeing in it. Seeing other people in yes. it. Oh, that's always, I think, you know, yes. the most that's exciting thing, exactly. seeing their response to the yes. place, how it actually yes. makes them feel. And yeah. there's, that's that really interesting difference between seeing an image of something and yeah. being in a in space exactly. experiencing yeah. that. Yeah. I'm sure you must find that with students, sort of walking around the city, even their yes. responses to yes. spaces and seeing mm. things with fresh eyes again. Mm. Um, so obviously you've been incredibly active in um, many uh, different battles uh, about the um, uh, urban issues from Ports of Auckland battle to um, right back to perhaps your first activist uh, role which was around saving Courtville. Yeah. What do you think are the most pressing issues at the moment for Auckland City and you know, where, we sh- where should we be focusing our attention? Well, intensification's huge, and doing that well, and I'm not going to get sidelined by the RMA. But I, I think, so I really think we have to be in there with that debate. I think the government has been hijacked by economists, and and that uh, we somehow need to work our way back to saying, no, this is where you will get the quality environment and and the number and the data, but you also get these facilities, you know, this really positive um, attributes for the city as opposed to just pouring custard over everything mm. in this talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and I mean, everyone knows you have to intensify and, and whether there's, it's just doing it well and doing it for everybody, mm. I think is... Is, is is really important. Um, it's a very um, it's a very difficult thing to have a one size fits all approach mm. that addresses you know every city, every different um, situation yes. within that city. I mean, arguably, our regulations yeah. are already quite blunt instruments yes. that don't often take in yes. context, and I I think. That issue of quality is a really, really important one because it is the difference that design can sure. make. I know, and unfortunately, the, the prevailing attitude at the moment is that you know quality is a luxury. Mm. But I, I just don't think we we can afford to not have that attitude. You know, quality of space doesn't mean expensive of space. It means having the right, doing the right spaces, and. Um, you know, I mean, we just look at the leaky homes thing and we just didn't control what was happening there and how many people. You know, it, it takes a long time to rectify these yeah. mistakes. Yeah. And it's usually a reaction as opposed to a proactive 
let's do this. And I think we were on the right path. And yes, more had to be done in, you know, particularly the inner city areas of to how to keep character, but mm. also um, increase density mm. and, and um, create a more quality public environment. Mm. So, yeah, but that's an interesting conversation. Really that's a, interesting you know, conversation. I mean, there's a really positive things that could happen there. Mm. And I think they were starting to happen, but um, yeah, I just see this as a, a knee-jerk reaction. Mm. And it probably doesn't help that um, some of the design leadership that we've seen, say, sitting here in Auckland with the yes. Council, mm. has sort of fallen by the wayside as well. So, yeah. 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 Totally. No, I, I think there's a really good case for a city architect or urbanist, mm. um, which they have in Australia. Mm. You know, and then they have that, and then they have the, you know, the sort of structure of, of, of um, being proactive in these spaces. And, and um, ne uh, what's the word? You know, looking after. What do you, it's like a garden. Nurturing. Nurturing. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> You know, you, you look after these things. You yeah. nurture. You you see the possibilities. You think you can think longer term about what things could be, and that might not have to happen now. But we're allowing the possibility for that to happen. We're not going to just shut it off. And um, you know, particularly areas to I don't know quite the but the rural urban limit. Thing. Mm. How do you not stop this in the sprawl? These are huge conversations they that we are. really should be putting a lot of discussion into. So, so how do we influence those as architects? Uh, you have a, a, you discuss and then you have a voice and you start really just lobbying and pushing for these things. You know, it's, you know, they just started putting up the apartments, Willie Millie and Hobson Street, remember? And I was just... Mm. And you know, we went and said, we we, "This is not good." You know, all the public development money, the so-called parts of the city, or something, is just going anywhere. There was no clear structure, and it was entirely developer-led as to what the outcome was. And and so we put in process that business that there should be more urban design and be a design-led city. And that's what sort of prompted those things. But that's all gone. As you say, there's a huge topic, so mm. you can talk for two hours on any segment of yes. it, right? And, yeah. and, you know, it's a really passionate topic for all of us. Our, our 76 small room chat is sort of, you know, 50% Beyonce gifts and 50% <laughs> yes. urban intensification arguments. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. it's something we're really passionate about. Yes. Um, Both of those things. I'm, um, <laughs> you know, I've only been in Auckland. I came to Auckland in 1994, but you know, yeah. you'll remember what it was like even then. It does feel that the public expectation of what is what is needed in the city has risen really substantially. Yes, and absolutely. at a certain point, sort of expectation and legislation may meet yes. and outbalance because it yeah. does feel, I can feel quite confident and optimistic at times because the, the public kind of understanding and expectation of what can be in a good city yes. has risen so much. Yes. And some of it comes from travel and you go overseas Absolutely. and you see what a yeah. city can be and yeah. you come home and you ask that of your city mm. and you drive that demand. Mm. Um, so it's sort of, you know, it's the sort of architect's curse of sort of half, you know, you see the bad and you hope for the good and you're always sort yes. of going between these two. Yes, but I think it's really important for us to keep pushing for 
mm. quality. It's a bit like, you know, it's not a dirty word. No. It's, no. And the mistakes are baked in for so long yes, with buildings. You absolutely. get something wrong, it's a generation before yeah. you have the chance to well, fix it. And the, the tricky thing is with any kind of intensification is it's not just about the one building and the one site. It's, yeah. the, um, it, it's that sort of exponential um, uh, number of effects that actually make a good neighbourhood mm. or a poor one, mm. how those buildings interface with the street, how they interface with one another. And I think as we get more intense, there's less room for bad exactly. players. Yes. You know? yes. They're more conspicuous. Yeah. yeah. And I think also that this idea of quality needs to be impacted. It's not, as you say, just about you know whether it's got... Um, you know, the most expensive cladding materials or yeah. that kind of thing. It's about the spatial qualities around them. How does this um, development, uh, how is it a good neighbour to the street? Yeah. How is it a good neighbour to its other mm. neighbours? How does it create mm. a good place to live mm. for the people who live there? Mm. Uh, and that's but, a real fundamental. I remember Anne mm. saying that, you know, that that's a urban design in a nutshell can be a good neighbour. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah. yeah. It's difficult to see how the housing supply bill was going to um, encourage that holistic thinking, isn't it? Well, it's, it's a set of pretty blunt rules. Yes. I mean, I really, I, I'm all for the intent and I sort of get the perhaps some of the political reasons which might have been we need to give certain councils a kick up the bum in terms of bringing on intensification. But uh, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding about, you know, what what these kind of really blunt um, rules, how they will play out. Mm. And if there's not quality, it will become <laughs> disastrous mm. really quickly. Um, so that's that's probably the rub. How do you make it? How do you make it mm. good? Mm. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about collaboration because. Architecture is a particularly, it seems to me, collaborative profession. Yeah, the gold medal singles out individuals for their achievement. But yes. what struck me about the announcement to do with you was it seems that the profession is kind of acknowledging an individual, but also the way they've led collaborations or participated in them. Do you feel that the way your work is being recognised also signals some kind of shift away from the kind of individual, powerful, genius creator to somebody who is acknowledging the collaborative nature of the profession you work in? Well, I hope so, mm. yeah, because I think that's important. I think it's, you know, it's a it's quite a important, I think it's a really positive shift too from the, the you know, the genius star architect. The fighter pilot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who, mm. you know, that it all flows out because, man, we all work and we, we're all so reliant on so many people, aren't we, to get everything Get that glass stair hovering. And and but the other thing is that that's the one of the big joys for me is working with all these other people and people knowing what they're doing to do this and going, I, yeah, what if we do this and go, you know, and um, and in other disciplines as well. Mm. And that's the fabulous thing. You get all these people coming in and they've all got something to add to it. Yeah. And um, and and um, and the same with the city. The more people mm. get involved in that, and the more excited. I mean, it becomes so much more positive and joyous and easier. Yeah. Um, and we can just take pleasure in that. I think.
Oh, maybe that's a lovely note to end on. <laughs> I think it's a very good note to end on. It also was like a script of that. Beautiful. Rousing. <laughs> well, Julie, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Congratulations um, on the award. Um, and uh, it's just been an absolute delight talking to you. So thank you very much from us and uh, all the listeners. Thank you. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.